The Bible says that He does exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. It's already there. Hallelujah. All we have to do is submit ourselves unto the Lord, resist the devil, and he must flee. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. Do you believe that tonight? Hallelujah. Why don't we just go to the Lord in prayer? But tonight, let's pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Amen. Let's pray a prayer of thanksgiving for all God is doing. Amen. In our midst. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name for who you are and what you are and all that you're doing. And pray tonight, God, that by your word and name, you would accomplish greater things, Lord. We give you thanks for every Bible study taught. We give you thanks for every person baptized and filled with the Spirit. We give you thanks, Lord, for every new person that's coming. And we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you. You can be seated. Uh, appreciate each and every one of you tonight in the house of the Lord. Thank you for being here. Also, all of you joining us online, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we greet, welcome, and bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many of you know God's good? Ah, yes, He is. Well, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our children and our students, Courtney, brother, sister, all right, good, sister Courtney, brother Jeremy. So our students and, of course, our children can be dismissed. Some of our children are already out getting ready and beginning to practice for the drama, but the rest are going to go ahead and be dismissed. Amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It is that strange time of year when you turn the heat on, but then it gets warm. And you try to turn the AC back on, but then it gets cold. And so I apologize if it's a little bit warm tonight in here. It's a whole lot warmer here with all these lights on me. So just, just you know, understand that and, and bear with me here. Amen. So if, if, I, if I preach like I'm on fire tonight, there's a good reason why. <laughs> amen and amen. Well, thank you, Jesus. do want to make mention, I know there was already a couple announcements. I don't want to re-announce anything, but uh, to all of our men, um, our next Men of War prayer, which is the 24th of this month, is actually going to be a uh, fellowship dinner as well at 7.30. So be here uh, at the church at 7.30. We'll meet downstairs, and uh, I'm making my uh, world-famous creamy tacos. So we're going to have some fellowship and prayer so all of our men and young men by the way speaking of young men uh sister isabella's been bringing her two oldest boys and they've been coming to prayer and appreciate their commitment to come so it's for young men it's for middle-aged men it's for elder men it's for men all in between married men single men and so if you're a man hallelujah be here on the 24th for our next men of war prayer slash fellowship all right colossians chapter one tonight i'm going to take us into the word of the lord and share something with you in the Holy Spirit. You can remain seated if you'd like. Um, Colossians 1, and I'm going to read uh, the first eight verses of this chapter for our text tonight. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and brings forth fruit as it does also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God and truth. Also, you learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto you, excuse me, unto us your love in the Spirit. And tonight and for the rest of the Wednesdays in October, I'm going to be talking about core values and uh, looking at different churches in Scripture that we can uh, take from writings such as this, 
what their core values are. So tonight is just simply titled the Colossians Core Values. Let's pray. Father, you are the living word, and I ask now that you make my tongue the pen of a ready writer and speak both your logos and rima to your church. Open our understanding, Lord, that we might comprehend the scripture and cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out and bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And Jesus, we ask all of this in your marvelous and majestic name, and we give you all the glory. And would you say amen? amen. Praise the Lord. Colossi was an influential city situated along major trade routes. It is in today what is modern-day Turkey, but then in the Scripture referred to as Asia Minor. Colossae was built along the Lycus River Valley and was a province of the Roman Empire. This region had a lot of wealth and political influence, along with its neighboring towns, Laodicea and Hierapolis. While some Jews lived in this city and its surrounding villages, most of the population were Gentiles, to whom Paul was God's ordained apostle. Now also of noteworthiness, Paul's colleague, which he referenced in our text tonight, Epaphras, is believed to have started the first apostolic church in Colossae. And Paul and, of course, Timothy, in part, helping him to address and write to this church, they addressed the faithful saints and expressed their prayers for them. Reports of faithfulness have encouraged Paul and Timothy, and they open this epistle, revealing what I believe to be the core values of this church. Now, core values are what identify a person, company, or church and what they stand for. They illustrate the reasons for a business or a church, its purpose in a community. And it reveals its mission and vision. If you were to go into Starbucks, if you were to go into Chick-fil-A, if you were to go into Target, if you were to go into Hy-Vee, uh, gas stations sometimes, there, you'll find somewhere possibly in that establishment a mission, a vision, a core value, a, a purpose of why they are there and why they believe they need to be there to offer their services to that community. This also then assists them in setting goals and measuring success. And so Paul and Timothy recognized what the faithful saints in Christ in Colossae believed and practiced and then encouraged them as they continued to be effective in their community. Without core values, I want you to catch this tonight, this is, this is the take-home truth right here. I usually keep it to the end, but I'm going to launch it out in the beginning, so stay with me to the end. But without core values, one is aimless and ineffective, okay? So as we examine this tonight, I want you to be thinking about that. And by the way, TCOO has core values. It's on the top of the steps over here, connect, grow, serve, lead. It's on the walls coming in. You've got connect with God, grow in faith on one side, and grow, uh, serve others, and lead by example, leaving. It's above the... the, the uh, um, bulletin board area out there where the clipboards are hanging. Um, that's, a, that's a part of our core values that we connect with God, grow in faith, serve others, and lead by example based on scriptural principles such as Acts chapter 2 and other places within scripture that that is based upon. It help us, helps us to govern, are we doing that? Some of you remember uh, Everett Hudson who was here for a while and was a part of the ministry team and he had, I think one of the very first messages he had preached, he talked about the fact that when he goes to McDonald's, he wants to get good hot fries because that's what they advertise. And he used that as a segue to say, if you're advertising hope and healing, you better be given hope and healing, right? And, and that's also a part of our purpose and vision. We're a place, uh, a spirit-filled church, where everyone can experience hope and healing promised through Jesus Christ. Okay? And so, in other words, that transformational experience is for anyone and everyone. And so those help us to govern, are we doing our job? 
Are we providing a place of hope and healing? Are we providing that element where there's a spirit-filled transformative experience? Are we connecting with God, growing in faith, serving others, and leading by example? Now, each, uh, each saint can also do that on a personal level, and here's why. Everybody take one of your fingers, right or left, I don't care, point it at yourself and say, I am the church. It's not just when we're here on Wednesday night for an hour. It's not just when we come back on Sunday. It's not just a special service every now and then. It's not just men of war prayer or a ladies Bible study or some other thing. It's who we are always, everywhere, every day. And so you are a place of hope and healing where the transformative experience of God can happen in a life. We don't have to wait till Sunday to baptize somebody. Brother Bernard told a story at General Conference of a pastor that uh, there was a lady, uh, she was a Presbyterian uh, minister, and uh, she had to leave because uh, of the uh, lack of biblical values that the church that she was going to was upholding. And so she left, and she found uh, Brother Condon, Mark Condon's church there in Ohio. And uh, a few weeks later, she got baptized and got the Holy Ghost. Well, she was on a conference or something. I can't remember where he said she was. Do you remember... I, I think she was somewhere south of Ohio, which I, I know that's vague. But anyway, she was at a conference somewhere, and she called Brother Condon back, and she said, Pastor, I hope this is okay, but I met three people here at the hotel. I taught them a Bible study and baptized them in the pool in Jesus' name. He's like, well, of course that's okay. And so I'm just going to tell you right now, uh, don't wait till Sunday. If you're teaching a Bible study to somebody, and they need to be baptized in Jesus' name, go find a body of water and baptize them in Jesus' name. All right? Amen. This is, this, so you're a transformative place of hope and healing yourself. Okay. So let's take a look at the core values of Colossae and see what we can apply individually and collectively. Here we go. The first is faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 4, the first part. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So this is their first core value that I want to bring out tonight. It's more, though, than just a belief in God. It's actually fidelity to him. Okay? It's a commitment that you're everything. It's not, okay, God, you're like my keys. Now they're in my pocket. I got you, and then I don't need you anymore, and you're off on the shelf. It's a commitment to him always. The believers at Colossae had experienced the new birth in the name of Jesus Christ and were faithful to him daily. They lived by faith and it pleased God with their testimony. How many of you know of a man by the name of Enoch in the book of Hebrews who is said to have been that type of a person? The guiding principle then kept them grounded as they endured persecution. Their faith wasn't just some uh, surface experience. It was rooted deeply in the Word of God and in that transformational experience of being born again and their fidelity to Him and to the truth so that when persecution came, they were able to stand and say, Oh no, I'm not going to deny the faith. Whip me, beat me, in imprison me. I'm not going to stop being who I am in this apostolic lifestyle. Amen. Hebrews 10.38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. We love that part of the verse. But as you know, there's more to that verse. It says, But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. We love that God is faithful to us. And Paul tells us that God is so faithful, he cannot deny himself. Just like he can't lie, just like he can't fail, he can't deny himself. So God is limited in that he can never be unfaithful to his people. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? We love it when it's him to us. But what about us to him? Amen. Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6. I alluded to this just a moment ago. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death but, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. 
But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, that means exists, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know what I find interesting about Enoch is this. He lived to be 365 years old. That's when he was translated. It, but it's not until he's 65 that it says he began to be faithful to the Lord. Now, there's, we don't know anything about 0 to 65. We know nothing but his birth other than who his father was. We know nothing that might have transpired. We don't know what happened at 65 other than his son was born at that age. We don't know if, if something there triggered, but something happened. Now, here's what else we don't know. We don't know if an angel appeared to him. We don't know if he ever built an altar. We don't know if he ever heard the audible voice of God like some of the other patriarchs of Scripture. And yet, all we do know is that he walked with God and pleased him. And 300 years later, God says, Hey, you're not going to see death. I'm calling you home. Can you imagine? I mean, he just, he just walk along having a normal day. <whistles> yeah, you know, got that cornfield over there. That's growing pretty good. Yeah. Oh, God is so good. Boom, bam. All of a sudden, he's in heaven. You know? Can you imagine... If the kids, you know, they're out there and they're, they're digging a hole. Hey, Dad. Hey. Where'd he go? Right? Who wants to be the one voted in to go tell Mom? Hey, Mom, um, something weird happened today. You know Dad, right? You know, your husband? Yeah, I know my husband. Yeah. Well, he's not here no more. Yeah, well, where'd he go? Well, um... We don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Right? But all we know of him, he had this testimony. He pleased God. You know, if nothing else is known of you, if you never preach at General Conference, if you never sing at, at Youth Congress, if, if your name is never, if you're never in, inducted into the order of faith of the UPCI, it, it, you know, all of those things, if none of that ever happens, let it be said of you, she pleased the Lord. He pleased the Lord. What an epitaph. Wow. That's the kind of faith when you dig into the word of what Paul says, your faith in Christ, that's what he's talking about. That kind of faith that pleases God. Now, uh, I'm, I'm an 80s and a 90s kid, and I love acronyms, and so I came up with one, and so pardon you know, my age, but here it is, faith. Faithfully, always, I'm trusting him. Wow. Man, that'll preach, right? Jude talks about this kind of faith. Watch what he says in verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once, and actually the text really should say, and for all, delivered unto the saints. Verse 20. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Jude also indicates this kind of faith to the point that contend there means, if necessary, die. Because the, the, the word he's using there for contend is the same Greek word that would, that would be used for gladiators. In other words, fight to the death if necessary. Amen. We don't need to be contentious, but we do need to contend for the faith. Faith is the foundation of our hope. It is the evidence of unseen things. We know this from Hebrews 11 and 1. It is in an imperative core value that we must have in order to please God. In fact, Jesus placed such a high uh, uh, estimation on faith, a high value on faith, that He said, when the Son of Man comes, shall He find faith on the earth? I hope He does. So faith must be one of the fundamental core values of us like it was for the saints of Colossae. And yet, while it's a core value, we must also add to our faith as 2 Peter 1 tells us. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and so forth. You see, faith unlocks the door, but you have to walk through it. Does that make sense? All right, let's go to Colossians 1. 
And the last part of verse 4, and also 7 and 8. Last part of verse 4 says, And of the love which you have to all saints. In verse 7, You learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you, a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. So the next one is love. Love to all saints. Paul and Timothy focused on love of the Colossi church. They loved the saints, had love for them, had love to them. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, love for them, you know, hey, I'm glad I'm in a church, but also to them when they were in need. It was more than just in word. It was also in deed. Does that make sense? And so faith there was, or love there, excuse me, was both word and deed together. Jesus Christ and his message, his life, exemplify this kind of love. On the very night of his betrayal, preceding his crucifixion, he said these words, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. And the faithful saints of Colossae practiced this type of love in their discipleship. Did you know that love fulfills the law and outlasts everything? Watch what Romans 13.10 says. Love works no ill to his neighbor. And who's your neighbor? It's whomever is closest to you at any given moment. If you're in apartment 118, it's not the guy in 119. It is that guy, but it's not just that guy. It's whoever you're close. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Galatians 5.14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James 2, 8 and 9, if you fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law or convicted of the law as transgressors. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now abides faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love is patient. Love is Kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. Love is not proud. Love does not uh, rejoice in injustice, but rejoices in truth. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love does not become hopeless. Love is everlasting. Love is enduring through every circumstance. This is the type of love that's being described in the rest of verse 4 and in 7 and 8 of Colossians 1. One of the things, and again, uh, we heard at General Conference, it was the very first message preached, Brother Joel Urshan. And, and he was preaching uh, somewhat of a, uh, you might say a simple message, but very profound. And he said, you know, if the fruit will grow, the gifts will flow. Now, he made another comment, something to this effect, that... That, you know, we all want to be using the gift of prophecy, but how about the gift of patience or the fruit of patience, right? And so, you know, love is the fulfilling of that. If we'll love, we're to speak the truth. We're to contend for the faith, but we're to speak the truth in love. As a pastor, I am to rebuke and exhort, uh, but with all long suffering. Amen? And so love, love must be the identifying core value of who we are. The third core value they had was in verse 5, is the first part. It says, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. This third core, va core value was their hope of eternity with Jesus Christ. And while I believe they brought heaven to earth, they also pointed people to the hope of everlasting life in God. Regardless of the pagan influences regarding the afterlife, and there was plenty of them in Colossae as there still are today, these born-again believers knew eternity was genuine. It wasn't a state of mind. 
It wasn't some false narrative uh, that had been created in, in false religions. They knew it was real. They knew Christ was there. They knew that one day the trumpet would sound. They would hear that trumpet and rise to be with Him. Their hope in heaven was not in vain, and they lived with the anticipation of spending forever with Jesus Christ. You see, if the born-again believer comes to the end of life and there is no God, there is no heaven, there is no hell, then the born-again believer has lost nothing. But if the atheist arrives at death and God and eternity are real and heaven and hell are real, they have lost everything. And instead of everlasting joy in the presence of God, they will experience a torment that will last forever where the worm dies not so god help us to reach people before it's too late and they enter eternity without god we live in a hopeless society people are concerned about the economy people are concerned about rumors of wars people are concerned about crime in their cities people are concerned about life in general People are concerned if there'll be another pandemic. And so we've got a hope today that is out of this world, literally. But it's not just some uh, platitude somewhere. It's a true thing we can hold on to. And we've got to share that hope with people. When Paul wrote to Titus, he mentioned hope three times. In Titus 1 and verse 2, he said, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You know what that tells me? That tells me before there was an Adam who sinned and ate the fruit along with his wife, before there was a flood, before there was even let there be light, God had already made up in his mind, I'm going to save this people and bring them into eternity with me. It's an eternal life. It's a hope we have in Him. And God cannot lie. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. In Titus 2, 11 through 14, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. I, I, by the way, I take that to believe, along with, for example, Matthew 24, 14, that the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. I, I take that and other verses like that to indicate that everybody's going to have a chance to hear the gospel. And when you think about uh, our society today where there is internet and podcasts and, and live streams and YouTube and all sorts of ways that the message is being spread and, and more apostolic writers writing books and, and so forth and so on, there are people hearing about it. There are people in the droves, uh, in the thousands uh, that are praying in some of these uh, 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 access challenge nations. God, if you're real, give me a vision. If you're real, lead me to truth and God's leading them to truth and they're getting the Holy Ghost and they're getting baptized in Jesus name amen the grace of God has appeared to all men aren't you thankful for that but watch this grace doesn't just come to save us oh boy I wish I had time to, to just go off on a tangent right now Jesus didn't just come to save us folks he came to restore our authority and dominion in Him and through Him. And so grace doesn't just come to save us so we can have a little badge that we can wear and say, Hi, I'm a born-again Christian. Watch what it does. Verse 12, teaching us. Grace is a teacher. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why? Because of verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. I want to be that one that's doing good works. I want to be that one that is set apart and peculiar and purchased by Jesus Christ. I want to be that one that's denying ungodliness and worldly lusts and reaching for the things of God, looking for the blessed hope. I've got a hope in this world, and it's not built on a government. It's not built on a money system. It's not built on man. It's built on Jesus Christ. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when this world becomes heavy and when society becomes sin sick in my spirit, I just begin to look up. I did it last night. I sat it on my porch with all the lights off and looked up into the skies and let my eyes adjust to the night sky and looked up through the clouds and saw some stars and saw the almost full moon and begin to think, oh God, I can't wait for that day when you rapture us out of here. It's a hope we have in Him. And if I see it in my lifetime, or if I die, I know it will happen. Let the scoffer scoff. Let the naysayers naysay. I know it's true because God cannot lie. Titus 3.7, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We need to make the wise choice to be like the faithful saints at Colossae, realizing that hope and the hope of heaven is authentic. This world is not my home. Oh, no. Uh-uh. Oh, I've got a few things I wouldn't mind doing. And Friday of General Conference week, we, we went to Cape uh, Canaveral and Kennedy Spacer. That was cool. That was neat. We actually rode in a simulator. That was pretty cool, too. You know, felt like what it was to take off from the uh, shuttle platform thing. That was pretty weird. That was cool. Seeing all this stuff. Seeing an actual Saturn rocket, you know. It wouldn't fit inside this building. I'm telling you, it's huge. That was neat. And, but if I'd have never seen it, you know, it's not like I'm just, oh, I got all these 13,000 things to do on my bucket list. You know what's at the top of my bucket list? To hear the trumpet. If I never make it to Paris, if I never sleep in the Lincoln bedroom, if I never go on another cruise, that'll all pale in comparison. If my team never wins again, who cares, Right? I mean, really, in the grand scheme of things, let's, let's, really put it, let's really put it on the scale here and see which way it tips. Jesus coming, going to heaven, my team winning. Is there any comparison? We have a hope. We have a hope of eternity. They had one more core value, and here's what it was. Verse 5, the latter part of verse 5 through verse 7 in Colossians. Where have you heard before in the world of the truth of the gospel which has come unto you as in all the world and brings forth fruit. Notice truth brings forth fruit, the hearing of it, the practicing of it. Amen. So our lives should be fruitful. Okay. As it does in you since the day you heard of it and knew uh, the, God, the grace of God and truth. Verse 7, as you learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is your faithful minister of Christ. So this, this next one, this final one, is truth that brings forth fruit. Let me just say this. It is one thing to say, I know the truth. It's another thing for your fruit to say you know the truth. St. Francis of Assisi said it this way. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. In other words, your life should be a life of fruitfulness. I don't remember when it was. I'm sure I won the argument, though. But my wife and I one time were arguing. Only happened about two or three times in the last 29 years. Um, two or three times a week, maybe. But nonetheless, we were arguing, and she just kind of nonchalantly just kind of, you know, shot a little shot over the bow there, and she said, I wonder what fruit of the Spirit that is, Myron. Bless God, woman, don't you talk to me that way. I'm the bishop. <laughs> well, guess what? She was right. That weren't a fruit of the Spirit. That was a fruit of the flesh. Ha! Right? I'm using myself, but we've all been there, haven't we? Yeah, mm -hmm. so, so the point we have to then ask ourselves is this, 
this truth that I believe, does my life prove it? Let me ask it another way. If you were convicted, or arrested and convicted on being an apostolic believer, would there be enough evidence to convict you without any reasonable doubt? Fruitful truth was the fourth and final core value of the faithful saints of Colossae. These born-again believers were anti-culture against the pagan philosophies and the religious dogma, the law, that influenced their community and region. They readily accepted God as the sole authority of truth, overcoming the strongholds of humanistic reasoning with God's word. They identified the lies. They replaced them with God's truth, and they boldly destroyed false arguments. Postmodernism still attempts to bring its philosophies against God's word in our society today. These strongholds are fortified by people believing false narratives that they tell themselves. Unfortunately, many churches have become about what you want to hear, not about what God's word says. And therefore, pathways are created in the brain and perceptions override truth. And so thus to that person, those churches, those believers, those whatever, truth becomes relative and absolutes are dissolved. But as the faithful saints of Colossae did, we must also place a high value on the word of God, giving it the preeminence that it deserves and boldly declare his truth. Only God's truth will bring forth life-sustaining fruit. So do not fall for the enemy's lies. His fruit is poisoned and leads to death. We live in a society where although there are some entire denominations even who are compromising and giving in to the whims and emotions of humanity, there are people searching for the authentic, wanting something that's real. They're wanting the truth in love, mind you, but they want the truth. And so God help us to be uncompromising in both believing it and portraying it. We need to heed God's warning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to um, 2 Thessalonians. There's a warning that we need to heed if we're going to understand this truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll just start at verse 1. Now we beseech you, brothers, or brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together to him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, they believed that it could happen at any moment. He was saying, no, that's not what Scripture teaches. It, it's, it's, that's not the way it is. Don't be shaken. Don't be moved by that. Verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, the day, the day of the Lord, shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. By the way, just a point of reference, have you ever heard somebody say great falling away? I know I've said it before. It doesn't say great here. I know we say that sometimes, but we need to be careful adding words into Scripture that really aren't there. It doesn't say a great falling away, it just says a falling away. Okay. So that's the sidebar. That's not part of the message. That's just a sidebar. Okay? <clears throat> Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sets in the temple. Excuse me one second here. There we go. Of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was with, yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know that what withholds, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. 
Only he who now lets will let until he is taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. I love that. Antichrist is going to be revealed and God's going to consume him with his mouth, right? Shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and lying wonders. And, and now let's really take a look at these next three verses. Verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. And why do they perish? Why were they deceived? It's not just the unrighteous acts they committed. Watch. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. It's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing to love the truth. Now, verse 11 is one of the scariest verses in the Bible to me. I'm about to tell you why. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. I used to ponder how people who clearly were in violation of scriptural principle could say they felt the presence of God. I felt God lead me. I felt God say this was okay. And I'm, I, had a, I had a guy tell me one time, he says, I believe fornication is okay. I'm like, what? He says, yeah, the Lord told me it's okay. I'm like, uh, hold on. Where? What verse? Well, God sends strong delusion to those who don't fall in love with the truth. We need to be careful because revelation, which is truth, and delusion emanate from the same source, God. And if we're not in love with the truth, it's going to be delusion. Verse 12, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So it's not just the fact that they had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's not just the deceivableness of, of unrighteousness. It's the fact that those were the results of not loving the truth. And so this fourth core value of Colossae, you have to understand if you were to study the history, they are in the hotbed of paganism. There are Jews there that are demanding that they practice the law even though the law has been fulfilled in Christ. And so they're up against some of their own people who are saying that you're wrong. You've got to follow the law. They're up against pagan philosophies. And they're like, no, we're going to go with what Jesus said. We're going to go with the truth. Because they fell in love with the truth. That's why Proverbs 23, 23, excuse me, 23, 23 says, buy the truth and sell it not. In, in, in the account of Naboth in 1 Kings 21, he had a, uh, a vineyard that was very close. King James says, hard by the palace of Ahab. That means very close. It was right next to the palace of Ahab. And it, and it was a vineyard and Ahab wanted it. And he went and offered money for it. He said, I'll give you a better one for it. I'll give you, uh, you know, double the money for it. And, and Naboth said, no, sir, I cannot sell the inheritance of my fathers unto you. And Naboth, the wine bucket that he was, goes and whines to his wife. And since she was the one that really wore the pants in the family, she's like, oh, honey, I'll take care of it for you. And she gets a couple of people to lie about Naboth. And they lie about him. And he gets stoned. But in that little short three or four verse account, we find out why Ahab wanted it. He wanted to change the purpose of the vineyard to a garden of herbs. The reason the enemy wants to buy your vineyard, i.e. the truth, is so that he can change its purpose and function. So buy the truth and sell it not. And if necessary, be like Naboth and die for the truth. Well, I don't know if that's what you expected to hear on Wednesday night, but that's what the Lord gave me. I've said the phrase faithful saints a couple of times tonight because in the context of Colossians, it mentions the faithful brethren and the word saints. The word faithful, I found out in my studies, is used exclusively in the New Testament for believers. 
And the word saints refers exclusively to God's church, the elect, and the practice of inward and outward holiness. In fact, the word saint is the very same word, kodesh, that we get, or hagios in Greek, that we get holy from. Thus, these born-again believers at Colossae prepared themselves to hear Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. They longed for the day that they would rise to join the Lamb of God, numbered with the called, chosen, and faithful. Their core values of faith, love, hope, and truth grounded and guided them as they fulfilled Jesus' words to deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow Him. And unlike other epistles that Paul wrote, there doesn't seem to be anything negative or that needed to be corrected in Colossae. Yet, regardless of whether this was the case or not, and maybe I'm missing something, and if I am, please tell me, every born-again believer should strive to emulate, emulate excuse me, the faithful saints at Colossae. Their core values of these first-century disciples revealed that their hearts treasured what God loved and worshipped Him wholeheartedly. The Father is seeking for true worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth. I want to be one that answers that. I want to be like the faithful saints of Colossae and fall in love with the truth and, and love people and be faithful and, and, and have a hope of eternal life and, and not be deceived. Amen? Amen. Praise God. I want to take just the last couple of minutes and share with you something before we pray. Um, as you all are aware, uh, you hear me often mention and say, and I believe in the vision of wanting to plant uh, more churches and see more people saved, and, and we are supporting financially as well as with uh, prayer support and even physical support, um, uh, the, the Wilsons and Norfolk. Uh, obviously, Blair, uh, we're supporting there as well. Uh, Nebraska City, um, we started a French church, of course, which now is, is on their own and in their own building, um, and, and God is doing great things. They've baptized two or three new people in the last couple of months, and so praise the Lord for that. Um, but about 11 years ago, right up here in the front, about where I'm pointing to, we were having a prayer meeting on a Saturday night. Brother Ryan Near was here, and I'm walking this way towards the baptistry. He's walking this way towards that wall. And we meet in the middle, and I, I feel like something's about to happen, so I kind of pause. He takes a step past me, turns around, I turn around, and he points at me. And he says, I prophesy a 12-tribe anointing upon you. The irony of it was that very day I had driven around Omaha and named off 12 suburbs praying that God would give us the money and manpower to start churches in these areas. So, of course, that was a very prophetic moment for myself. He later prophesied that TCOO would be a bridge church um, that would be like an Antioch that would equip and empower and minister to missionaries worldwide. And, and a missionary is not just someone in a foreign country. It could be a, a North American missionary. It can be someone like the Wilsons going into an unchurched area and planting a church. I'm saying all that to say that part of the, the nucleus of our core values is that we would reach beyond these four walls to the world and touch the world. We touch it financially with our PIM supports. We touch it financially with special love offerings and missions offerings. But we also touch it, again, through the lives of the Wilsons and so forth. But the, the other point is there's, there's more that God's doing. And part of that more is two things that have happened in the last month that I want to share with you. And that is uh, uh, two families that live in New Mexico have asked me to be their pastor. And after much prayer and counsel, I have accepted that and am helping them. They've already baptized about 16 people and are starting a church. And they're going to be here on November 6th. And we're going to pray for them and come together with them and, and minister over them. And, and because even though they're not here, they're online watching every service. And they're a part of this body 
uh, uh, and starting a church there. So uh, you need to understand that your prayers, your dollars are reaching people, not just in Norfolk and Blair and Nebraska City and the French work, but it's reaching people in Santa Fe. It's reaching people across the world. Amen. Another thing has happened in the last couple of weeks, and that is we have a, a church that has approached us that believes in baptism in Jesus' name, believes in the infilling of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, believes in the oneness of God, and wants to come here and come under uh, my authority as a pastor and a bishop and have their church here. They're a Congolese people, and they've got about 50 or 60 people. And one of the main reasons they want to come here is the place that they're renting now won't let them preach the truth. And the very thing we said tonight about having a love for truth is what's calling them to leave. On the very day that they came and showed up, I had talked with the pre-service team and had shared with them the vision I just shared with you and the prophetic utterance from Brother Ryan Neer. On that very morning, that Congolese pastor said God had told him to come here and meet me. And when I told him what I had told the pre-service team through the interpreter, he looked at me and he says, and the Holy Spirit does not lie. And I said, Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so I share that with you to say that a part of the core values of this church, you know, TCOO will exist for as long as God will let us and as long as I have breath in my lungs and all of that. And, and we'll fill this building in Jesus' name. And, but we're going to reach other people as well. We're going to reach beyond these walls. We're going to reach into the Omaha metro. There's eight counties in the Omaha metro. We're going to reach into them. We're going to believe that God's going to do great and greater works. Amen. And so I want you to understand that when we're doing this, uh, it, it's, it's done under the authority and the auspices of Jesus Christ and His Word. It's done under much counsel and, and wise counsel, but it's also done with a vision and a passion to say, we want to grow. We want to see God's kingdom expand. Amen. And so with that, let's stand to our feet and let's pray and ask God to bless. And if they're watching tonight, Matt, Calvin, we love you. Amen. Can't wait to see you in about three weeks when we pray and anoint you guys in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you right now for all that you're doing, for who you are, for all that you have uh, done in this place, God. And I pray that we would come together understanding the fullness of the core values, God, that we have, understanding the truth of who you are and what we are God and I pray that we would fulfill it in the name of Jesus according to your will and your word and would everybody say amen, amen. God bless you I love you hallelujah in Jesus name